0: Good evening everyone and welcome to the podcast tonight's topic is the great big world in your story because i had to go look that up that's why i paused <laughs> okay and so daisy asked in our ask a question um section on discord um how do you cope when writing a huge daunting in a, in a huge daunting fandom like harry potter the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, they're all massive fandoms with enormous world building and all seem very daunting to write in. How do you even begin to plot the world building in such a world let alone work out where you want to write and work out a plot in its ripples? Okay. When I first read this question, I was like, hell, I don't know. But then... Well, I do it. So <laughs> so obviously I do know. You know, so... Um, That's some theory. Yeah, I got some theory about that. So, but what I would say to start off with is that we actually write in a lot of fandoms that have huge canons. Um, uh, Harry Potter, of course, Lord of the Rings, Star Trek, Star Wars, um, multi-season, multi-season TV shows like NCIS. Now, NCIS and um, CSI, all those cop procedurals, they do, ha- they do tend to feel small. Because they have. um, They're episodic in a lot of ways. And there's not a lot of. um, They don't have multiple. Giant. um, Arcs. Running through them. All the time. They usually have a single arc. That they follow all the way to, to the end. So like. The. Like in. In. CSI, you have know, the miniature killer. Well, that was the biggest um subplot point they had for that 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 series of episodes. So there weren't a whole bunch of different ones sprouting out from that. They had individual cases, but that was the whale. And so in procedurals, you'll have a whale to um to focus on, but never more than one. So it's so that it can so that it looks small. But you look at the the canon and non canon elements of Star Trek for instance now paramount decides what is canon and what is not canon as far as Star Trek is concerned and if you go into the fandom wikis for for um uh Star Trek and we'll ha- we'll have a whole discussion about fandom um fandom wikis later um you'll see that there are actually two wikis for um Star Trek. There's an alpha wiki and a beta wiki. And one is for canon content and one is for non-canon content. Because Paramount decided and it's and it's actually a good thing that only the movies and TV shows are canon and everything else is not. And this is really good because <clears throat> the books in Star Trek contradict each other. Amanda Grace has died six different ways. In and, she's probably, she, and she's probably living in some of those universes. Yeah. Because they don't have a series Bible in the books. Now, the Star Wars books used to be canon. Now they're not. Just really too bad because they fucked the whole franchise. But whatever. That's a whole different story. Yeah, it's a whole different story. <laughs> now, I find fandom wikis very useful i agree they are useful but they can be wrong um we discovered this um we we got a classic example of this just yesterday Uh yeah about how wrong they can be or or how contradictory because when marvel retconned the dates for iron man the mcu wiki updated the dates but they are off by a year (laughs) and one in on in like one page not every page, but like one page. So, you know, and and, and they also will even admit that that sometimes the data is a projection. They also do things like age characters when they don't have an age based on the actor's age, which is a bullshit way of aging a character. Um, you know. So, but also, I think there's an interesting thing that happens with like people perceive like it's a lot harder to right and something that's got a big canon a big movie canon like um like star trek or something that that being said you pick your fandom resources and you use them exclusively and if somebody has a question about what you done you say this is where i got it this is the information that i'm using to build my story on if you don't like it kiss my ass yeah. which is why when we when we work on the mcu timeline we work um, primarily from collider, and where we can't get enough information from collider, we work. We'll go. We to, supplement. To other, we'll supplement, but if it contradicts collider, we don't. Con- we pick collider. collider. Collider, collider first, and then we fill in elsewhere. But you know, the thing is, it's like there's this there's this funny thing in the um, like I think people are not even aware they have this like double standard in their own minds. which is like they'll recognize and they'll acknowledge that in the mcu that comic book canon is different than the movie canon and if people challenge them and say but in the comic books or worse in norse mythology it was like this they'll come back and go yeah but that's not mcu canon and they'll and they'll say that right they're like yeah but that's not the cinematic universe canon so hush but when it comes to The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, if somebody challenges them, they go, "But that wasn't in the supplemental materials. The supplemental materials, the Samarian or whatever they were, um, said this and this, and that's not what you wrote." And they'll go, "Oh, I guess. I mean, I don't. I didn't. You know." And they'll they'll get kind of sheepish, like, "Oh, I messed up." It's like, "No, you didn't. You just went with the movie verse canon." And, there's and I'll say, "And that. I don't care what Tolkien said in the whatever s word that is." Marion or Silmarian or whatever. I don't know that big old the big one with with the, all the L's. But um but the thing is is that people will and it's because some some fandoms are very sorry. some fandoms are very militant about the extended canon, right? Um and so people are kind of like, oh well I haven't read all the materials. Can I read even write in this fandom? Yes, you can. Of course you can. But if you're sticky, if you're doing movie verse canon. And you're filling in the details that you want to fill in. Um, do you need to go and read all the supplemental materials? No. no, no, maybe no. In fact, one of the ways that I plan to combat this when I finally finish my magic, which I'm very close. I mean, all I have to rise the battle of the five armies. I mean, that's it. <laughs> and that's all I got left. <laughs> it's the battle of the five armies. It might be a wedding or three, <laughs> but it's like. Five armies, re- you know, five armies and four weddings, or something like that. Anyways, um, and no funerals because I don't do that. Uh, but um, I fully intend to put in my author note that can that their canon means jack shit to me. So please don't bring it up because I don't care. All right. I mean, honestly, I have to say it because I've been writing a lot in the MCU lately, as you may have noticed, um, and one of the things that infuriates me is when people start talking to me about comic book canon, I will sometimes supplement with comic book canon where there's a blank and I find what happened in the comics to be interesting. But MCU disregards and contradicts comic, the comic book canons contradict themselves. Because of so many different universes. Right. But the MCU definitely contradicts comic book canon. So you can't say, well, but in the comics, I mean, honestly that line gets me, it, it's gnashing of teeth over here. When someone says, well, in the comics, I just want to go, oh, Mm-mm. shut up. In mythology, I would rather have a discussion between the MCU and comics than I would um, mythology and Thor. Because oh, God. if one more person tells me that um, Odin should be crucified for what he did to Loki and the, and, and Loki's children, I'm going to scream. Because that didn't happen in the MCU. And by the way, Loki wasn't even his son in mythology his brother so so shut the fuck up shut your pothole i'm i'm really tired of it but what i would say about um the difference between books um book canon and movie canon whether it whether or show canon whether it's like um the difference between the harry potter movies and the harry potter books um or um game of thrones and a song of fire and ice um Um, MCU and the comics is that you need to pick your canon and stick with it and if there are parts of canon in the movies that you want to play with just bring them in because fan fiction is supposed to be fun it isn't supposed to be um a painfully desperately ugly hurtful knife in your gut feeling that you get if you if if you're thinking about posting so if you're letting somebody get you to that point because you're afraid of, of how they're going to respond to what you've written you need to take your give a fuck out and put it on the table and go get a hammer and break that shit because it's just fandom or plant it so that you have a give a fuck when you need it right yeah 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 you I mean if if you need to save it, maybe stick it in the freezer in a saver bag you know get you a food saver. <laughs> Like, I'm saving this for later. You guys don't count. I, I need to have a give-a-fuck about something that matters. <laughs> Vacuum-pack uh, that shit and move on. On the other hand, you know, sometimes I spend a lot more time... For for all that my give-a-fuck about canon is really broken, I do spend a lot of time sometimes researching canon. So, I, and I realize that can seem like a contradiction, but sometimes I'm researching the canon... And I'm researching isolated elements of it because I don't want to go and binge watch Teen Wolf, you know? And I don't want to rewatch a certain movie or whatever. Um, A lot of times I'll read a whole bunch of stuff on canon resources so I'll know what I'm going to ignore. Right, exactly. It's like, well, I'm leaving that out. Because sometimes I want to know what I'm changing. Do I think you need to do that? No. Um, You should do what you want to do. Now, I have to admit, when I wrote in The Hobbit the first time it was not an enjoyable experience for me the first time I did it because I spent so much time and it's not that the funny thing is it's not that I don't do that kind of research on other stories because I research I mean I'll stop on when I want to get a realistic estimation of you know how fast an elevator is in a high rise instead of just saying you know if I want if I want Jarvis to tell Tony how long it's going to take somebody to get to the you know, So-and-so will be arriving. Is it going to be three minutes? Is it going to be 45 seconds? How long did that elevator take? I will stop and look that up. Because that's just the kind of way my brain works. I want to know the actual answer. Well, um, but I don't... And so when I was writing The Hobbit the first time, I'm sitting there with maps and going, well, how far could they reasonably travel by foot? And what's the distance here? And um, I looked up how long it would take to get from the hobbit i mean from the shire to the I'm to airborne um, um, on pony right so you do i do look that kind of stuff up you know i've sat there and so i found it very frustrating And it's not because i don't do that kind of research in the normal course of things i just felt so out of my element that i right. felt like i was stopping to research constantly and i was constantly double checking name spelling but the thing is I found it frustrating and I felt like it was the Hobbit, right? But it really wasn't. It was really anytime you stick your, your, your toe into a new fandom, you do get a little bit overwhelmed. Even if you know the Canon, it can be overwhelming. I know the MCU Canon as well as I know any other Canon. And I found it a little overwhelming the first time I was constantly stopping and checking dates. And that's when I was doing high rise research and, um, You know, I mean, nothing, just... co- nothing compares to your furniture spiral. Dude, that was, <laughs> that derailed you completely. But someone's in the chat room, I'm going to call you out, said that I didn't know the Sentinel when I wrote The Awakening. That's not true. I had been reading in the fandom for over a year. I had read the um, the entire wiki on the Sentinel. Um, I had read dozens of meta essays on the characters. Uh, I, I, I dug into the Sentinel. What I had not done was watch the TV show. But I had also read p- roughly 75% of the scripts. I'd just never seen the show. But I would challenge anybody to read The Awakening. And, and be able to say off the cuff that i had not read um watched the show if they didn't already know it yeah I and mean, i don't think honestly i've never still watched the entire show yeah. <laughs> yeah i watched the first season of the show i mean the question is if you've watched if if you've read if you've read the script from for a movie do you know the canon i think you know it as well as anybody else conceivably um so research into a sh- particularly into a show you don't particularly like, you, sometimes you find the fandom really alluring, but you don't find, you know, the show, the, the movie, the book, whatever, all that appealing. And so you, you do a lot of research. Um, I, I mean, ugh, the, the amount of Team Wolf research I have done to get out of watching the show is pretty astronomical. <laughs> um, it probably would have been quicker just to watch the show <laughs> it probably would have because and i've you know and there have been times when i was like i have to like get an alpha reader for something it's like oh god i gotta get somebody to alpha read this for me because i just what i would say is actually after having watched the first season of the sentinel i was even more furious by people telling me that i had written blair sandberg out of character well for fandom you had how dare you? I was like, are you, you fucking troll- kidding me? He opened this, he opened the show up by pushing a vending machine onto a terrorist. What? <laughs> what? I was I was yeah, but no, I, I think there's a big difference between like for instance, I would challenge anybody to tell me that I have to watch the, the Harry Potter movies to know the fandom. To know the canon, because I don't. No, you don't. Well, I mean, honestly, this is just my opinion, but the book canon, this is one of those rare cases. There are some differences between the book canon and the movie canon. There is, And I'm not saying there's not differences, but compared to some book adaptations they the movies are actually not that far off which is why sometimes it's difficult to tell if a fan fiction story is movie or book canon there are certain events that you can spot that are distinctly different like if other Draco that, doesn't meet harry on the train i think to myself oh movie canon yeah this person hasn't read the books
1: <laughs> and it tells you
0: so much about their characterization or- prefer the movie canon they could have read the book and still prefer the movie canon they maybe like that event better so it depends upon did it work for their plot better i mean there's all kinds of reasons people make the choices that they make um and you just have to you know i think it's just a matter of figuring out what works for you what kind of story do you want to tell and how much canon do you need um Timelines are pretty easy to figure out. Most wiki resources, somebody's worked up a timeline because there's somebody out there that is just all up in timelines. I mean, and honestly, I find well, big timelines. You get the whole plans for the city of Atlantis on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I have to admit, I do find huge timeline um, inaccuracies to be frustrating in, in a lot of stories, which is mm-hmm. like, you know where especially where it's it's something that is entirely avoidable i admit i can get really frustrated by that um as a reader because i it's one of the things i do try to work on getting you know or acknowledge where you've altered the timeline but like i don't think you can reasonably alter the timeline for an mcu movie versus something else in the mcu because the mcu is pretty tightly packed and so you have to be really careful. If you alter about one, you have to alter all of it. Right. And people going don't. Going forward. They just, oh, I'm just going to alter this one event. It's like, eh, that doesn't really work. Unless it's, I mean, some events are nebulous, right? We don't really know exactly when they occurred. But you can't change the year significantly. So... The, the, i have to, i understand the approach of how to approach i'm not because i i think the issue when like when I read the question, yes big fandoms with a big cannon can be intimidating but I did wonder is the issue really more new fandom because once you get comfortable in what your comfort zone is, what your lane is in a fandom um y- the, the size of the cannon that you don't know ceases to become an issue. That we'll makes sense. in the chat we're talking about the difference between, yeah it does the difference between the song of fire and ice and the actual TV show but here's the thing about the structure of a novel versus the structure of a television show they are vastly different um and really have to be splitting a book narrative into episodes is an overwhelming task I've done it um. I am in the process of doing it for uh, an unspeakable plot. And it is nowhere... It is a tenth the complicated that Game of Thrones is. A tenth. Maybe even a, a percentage. Like a one percent complicated. Because Game of Thrones is a gigantic piece of fiction. Just the first book. <laughs> um. Well, the question is... Is... If they ran out of source material, why didn't they go back to the source instead of getting, (laughs) just going off the rails? Why? Why do that? You know, because the source is still alive. He's over there in his bubble. Go get him. (laughs) Take him out of the bubble. Ask him some questions. Where are you going next? What can we do with this? Well, you'll get it when you get it. I mean, if you look at the size of his books, it's no wonder they take forever to write. Although I do question um, some recent events that they've done. And if they ask George, hey, is this person going to end up on the throne? Because I hope not, because we just killed her. Hope you don't have any strong feelings about that. Right? It's curious. I don't watch Game of Thrones. It's too rapey for me. But, um... It's the same reason I don't watch Outlander, but these shows being turned in, you know, these books being turned into to TV shows on Showtime, uh, True Blood, Game of Thrones, um, Outlander. That is no, that is like, that's no mean feat, and that's a that that's a huge that's that's a huge task, um, and I would not want to undertake it. Just splitting just splitting fan fiction up into novellas was a nightmare. You. Should... Because ties that bind started out as a novel, and it got too big, and it felt ridiculous. And so I was like, "No, this is." And I still had like all these plot points stuff, and I'm like, "Why is this? Why is it so big?" Because you're a kinky bitch, Kara. That's why it's big. <laughs> you need to stop. So then I had to stop and re- You know, reconfigure. <laughs> but what you said about um level of comfort in it being a new fandom. My first thought when I saw the question was it's not the fandom. It's not the it it's not the canon that's a problem. It's the fandom. Yeah, some fandoms are Lord of the the Rings fans are they're a breed apart. And Harry Potter fans are entitled as fuck. Now I say that having recently been called what do they call me? Idiot? a fucking oh well, yeah so, someone did call me an idiot but oh um, the standard bearer yeah someone called me a standard bearer the standard I was horrified bearer. on your behalf barrier she told me barrier. that I was like no Harry Potter and so is that like worse than being a BNF because I don't know Yes, it, it feels worse. like it's, it's worse it, it, it feels, feels horrible worse. Um. anyways and so I say that being whatever the fuck that is um they're, they're a bunch of entitled little bitches I love my readers, every entire little bitch, one of them. But Lord of the Rings fans, <laughs> they all think they got a PhD in Tolkien, okay? <laughs> they're like, is it Tolkien or Tolkien? Tolkien, Tolkien. Tolkien, Tolkien works. I guess Tolkien, but I. Who, Tolkien? I mean, he's not I'm sure there's to tell someone to tell. listening to this podcast in the future telling bitch, I thought how you say that. Gets out their PhD. (laughs) Yeah, honey, I know what a standard bearer is. I'm just not sure if it's worse than being a big name fan. I think it's worse. I was horrified when you said somebody called you a standard bearer. I went, oh my God, that's just, I felt, I felt like I needed to rescue you or something. Well, we're talking about earlier. shitty um, expectations. The ideas um, and um, how... um, how ideas uh, and, and particular concepts and fandom kind of um, roll around and get into other people's fics. And I think that um, that's going to be your problem with um, Darkly Loyal. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And I'm like, I really enjoyed Darkly Loyal, but I don't want to read a hundred fics where Harry goes back in time and kills everybody. I mean, I, you, yeah, go ahead and ride it if you want to. but. <laughs> I promise not to write a story where Harry travels back in time and kills everybody. <laughs> you do you. But hey, I I I I I always I always march the beat of my own fucking drum in Harry Potter. <laughs> I meant the reader, the the writer in general, not you in particular. Um But no, I mean like it's it's very common for me to open up a new Harry Potter fic and to see my concepts and themes being used most often without credit and so i think that's what they mean by standard bearer it's like they feel like they're perfectly they're they're that my that my work and my ideas and my themes and my concepts um are fair game i don't think they mean i don't think necessarily think they mean that it it's fair game. I feel like they're, they're kind of like saying that you, you, like you set a standard that um, I don't think that, well, I, feel I, like I, doubt, fair game. I doubt the person who said that in any way meant to imply that, um, you know, that people should just take what they want from you without, without any kind of attribution. Because that, if they did mean that, that's rude as fuck. But yeah, it happens. I mean, and I I don't say anything because even on my own I, because you can't claim an idea. You you can't own an idea. Um and but it's really When I see somebody using something that I know for a fact they got from me. I've seen people using your original characters without attribution and that is shady as fuck. Yeah, if you use my OC without um, attribution, you're an asshole. And if you're not certain, because I know sometimes people don't know if a, a characters can. Lady or Holder, not. you don't count for that. That's different. <laughs> but I also appreciate attribution. <laughs> but you don't. But you don't take my original characters and act like they belong to you, and and tell me, um, and and act surprised if I'm if I'm irritated that you didn't give me credit. Well, I am always actually very careful when I... Because I've used your OCs, as you know. Mm -hmm. This is not a surprise to you. Um, I'm very careful to make sure that I call out up top that I'm using your OCs because I don't want people thinking that that is a canon character. And a lot of people do think that some of my OCs are canon characters, which is both weird and flattering at the same time. But if you aren't sure if if you, If you pick up a character you like in a, in a fandom in a in a piece of fan fiction and you aren't sure if they're original. Go look. It's easy to go look up a list of canon characters for just about any fandom. Like, for instance, in my Harry Potter, Ragnarok is not an original character. He is a uh, basically a blank slate character in Harry Potter. He is like mentioned briefly as a bank employee, and most authors, myself included, use him as the chieftain. Um, but Sharprock and Razel, those are my original characters. Winky's not original, but Star is. So if you don't know, check. Yeah, just ask. And if you can't find it in the fandom resources, write the author and say, hey, is this your OC? Where'd you get this person from if they're not your OC? And can I use them? Ain't rocket science. But I do think that a lot of times, when it comes to like Lord of the Rings, um, and Harry Potter, and uh, and and the Sentinel, that uh, the fandom, the fans are more of an issue than the actual canon. Yeah, I agree. The fans are are a big problem. Nicholas Flamel is a real live, actual historical person, but his fictionalization in Harry Potter is unique. So I think it's best not to confuse the historical figure with the fictionalization version of him in Harry Potter. I would not use historical facts. I think he was an alchemist, but I would not use historical facts from the real historical figure to fill out the information on Nicholas Flamel. Starts, yeah, it starts to feel a little sketchy. Wait, it feels but, also, weird. but also because you have to be consistent with, you don't want to contradict what there is of canon. With real data, right? Because, and you could do that quite easily. Meaning, right. Um, you know, Dumbledore. So you just, you just gotta, just gotta be careful. Um, I wouldn't say that, uh, it would be considered RPF, uh, because he has been dead for a very long time. But the uh, other side of it is, is that he was a real life person. Um, and, uh, He's been dead for a very, 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 very long time. And so the characterization we get of Nicholas Flamel in Harry Potter um, should not be conflated with the actual real person. But I think I think there is the combination of approaching a fandom that has very militant fans. Now, it, fans can be militant in any fandom. Um Especially and, and sometimes they're more militant on Sun Art sun archives. Like sometimes you'll get worse fans on on fanfiction.net and sometimes the worse the, the more obnoxious communities on AO three. Um I don't have any I would to say the Hobbit me. fandom on AO three. They're utterly obnoxious. Yeah, whereas the obnoxious um for the most part the worst of NCIS is on that's on fanfiction um, the Harry Potter fandom can be a nightmare on both. They sort of, you know, um I really don't, don't know anything about Wattpad um, or or Tumblr. Tumblr, actually, from from what little I ex- encountered or inter- interacted with, the actual writing side of fan fiction on Tumblr seemed the best behaved of the bunch. But sometimes I also saw a lot of really juvenile behavior that I was like, "Where in the world is that coming from?" Um, when it comes to characters like Flamel and like say for G- um, Gaius Maris in my. Um, Stargate fic um, I think it's better to create your own fictional version of them than to delve too deeply into the historical persona that, you, that, that we're giving in history books because then they feel more like an original character and you don't have to feel hinky about what you're doing with them. That's just my personal opinion. I left Tumblr because they took all the dick away. Yeah, that was, I mean, I didn't I didn't jump ship on Tumblr for any other reason. (laughs) What? I did. So. When I created the character of Gaius Maris. um, For um, Stargate. I took uh, his his basic historical details. And family. But when it came to his personality. I shifted completely away from that. Because I didn't want to. I mean, obviously, I'm not sure there are any relatives to be upset. It would be, it would be really interesting to meet somebody who could actually trace to trace their relation, their relation, their family tree all the way back to him. So I'm not worried about that part. It'd be very interesting if I could meet someone like that. That would be awesome. Um, but in a lot of ways, historical figures like that do appear to be fair game. But I think it's you know just. You need to treat real people with respect. Is that the right way to put it? Although, I say that, and then you you, you see what right, I did to Nicholas Flamel in, um, uh, well, but Darkly Loyal. But you treated the fictional fictionalization of him that way. Right. Because not, the real ones wasn't wouldn't have been alive for that anyway. The real ones have been dead for a very, very long time. <laughs> this was, I mean, I don't actually compare the real Nicholas Flamel and the fictional one from Harry Potter. I don't consider them the same person. Because obviously the real Nicholas Flamel would not have been alive in 1991 to give his Philosopher's Stone to Dumbledore. So, um, I guess we could talk about strategies for approaching a new fandom that has a big canon. Um, what I would say is that you need. Before you go into a big fandom like Harry Potter or The Hobbit. Um, Lord of the Rings. Uh, you need to know your focus. Because the more you can focus your idea. You can narrow down your spot in canon. Both time wise and location and who the characters are involved. The easier it will be. Yeah there's a whole series of books. About um, Barack Obama and Joe Biden. Solving crime. They're like detectives or something. <laughs> there's, like, the covers are hilarious. <laughs> You go to Amazon, you find them. They're really easy to find. I think there's one or two, maybe three. I don't know. <laughs> Julie, did you go away? Nope. I'm here. Okay. I have um, not <clears throat> left. Man, one of the problems I have with Star Trek fandom is this incessant um, desire to write Kirk as, a, as and I realized. Kirk is a, was kind of a womanizer on the original show, um, but even then, I mean, even as 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 much as he liked to get laid, James T. Kirk had an honor about him. He had a morality. He I mean, he I mean, he wasn't. So when I see fix where like he's in a relationship, but he's but he's cheating, or. Um fix where he actually gets assaulted and everybody assumes he he was cheating because he's a whore and his telepathically bonded life mate couldn't tell the difference between consensual and non consensual sexual contact. <sighs> what the actual fuck? Really, fandom, what the actual fuck? There isn't just wonder. Erite, is that right? Um, There are a bunch of them. Yeah. I mean, it's like an epidemic over there. it, It started to become a trope. It's like people having Kirk get assaulted and Spock bonded to him somehow assume that it was cheating. It was just like, whoa, dude, really? And it happens in one fic after another. I mean, it was just like it was an epidemic. And I was like, what? No. But also, Kirk was, yeah, Kirk. Even the original Kirk. He wasn't that kind of asshole. Yes. He enjoyed beautiful women. But. The one time he fell in love. It was immense. I mean. His grief was. I mean it was. And he wasn't. I just. The characterizations is so disgusting. Disgusting. Yes, Kirk did seek to make uh, um, intimate connections. He wanted to be loved. Um, And he also, I think, really enjoyed sex. And there's nothing wrong with that. But turning that into him being incapable of being faithful and being a whore are two entirely different things. It doesn't even make sense. I don't think I get what kink meme prompts actually are. Because how the fuck is that kink? Uh, People put up... I've seen some pretty fucked up prompts, right? And just because somebody puts up a prompt, honestly, doesn't mean that you need to write it. I Honestly, I don't actually find that to be... I actually find that to be a really... um, a really offensive excuse for somebody writing something shitty where they is. Well, it was a, it was a prompt fill. Ooh, I, that talk about abdicating responsibility. You're the one who wrote it. You see a lot of people say, Oh, he's my favorite character. And then they write him doing some epically disgusting things. Well, I mean the same thing. Well, somebody say like the same thing happens with Tony Dinozzo or Tony Stark or Blair Sandberg. people say, oh, is he's my favorite? That's he's my unicorn or whatever. And I was reading a story yesterday where it was you know, supposed to be pro Tony, right? Tony was it was like the most pathetic, webified Tony of all time. I'm like this is your, this is the character you love. What would you do to the character you don't like? Right making him and i don't know which is worse the complete spineless wimp or the asshole because they're both violations of their canon characterization tony stark is not a spineless wimp nah, no no t- tony stark um tony stark is iron man you need to get that shit right yeah iron man the thing is, if you if somebody was if somebody hated Tony Stark and they were writing him that way, they disliked him, and like the story was very pro somebody else. Okay, you don't like that character. You're basically bashing him. Fine, but when it's your character you like and you write them that way, hmm. And also, I'm, I got to come back to this. If you don't like an idea, but it's a prompt fill, don't fill the fucking prompt. <laughs> I just I'm so stuck on that because I have seen that excuse. Um. Well, yeah, a good things that to come out of anything, right? But, you know, the thing is I have seen – I've seen – I've read stories where, you know, they'll list the prompt at the top. And I'm like, oh, my God, why would you pick up that? I don't even read the story because the prompt is so terrible that I'm not interested in seeing what came out of that. People will ask for shitty fucked up things. It doesn't mean that somebody else – and if somebody's putting together a challenge full of shitty fucked up things – why would you want to participate in that? I mean, you do you, nope, not, but not gonna I, do I'm, it. Just, I'm just not going to do it. And then, and then to, but you can't use, you can't use the, ex, you can't use it as a, you can't use the fact that you were filling a a, a prompt, or it was part of a challenge as the excuse for the shitty thing you wrote. I'm fast becoming to believe that most of the fucked up shit that comes out that you know, like, like arrives in fandom probably comes from a kink meme. Okay. I mean, I think that this the most... I, I, I wrote something to me, to me that was, to me, it was really fucked up. Okay, to me, massively fucked up. I wrote something one time that I thought was just like... I, I hated every second of it. Um, it was a post disaster charity thing. And um somebody donated a lot of money to have me write x amount of words based upon their prompt fill and i signed up for this okay so in my mind i felt obligated to write the story this was i was young in fandom and i felt like i had to do it now if i a i wouldn't for starters it cured me of doing fandom things for charity I, it cured me of that desire, and I wouldn't do it anyway now. But if I were in a situation like that again, I would just say no. I would say, I would a put more limitations on what I was willing to write. But if somebody presented me with something that was that fucked up, I would just you know put, hand it back and say no. Trim this down. I'm not writing it. Not doing it. But I have to take responsibility. I can't. I can't say oh. I did it for you know this thing. I, I was obligated to fulfill this prompt. I still wrote it. Those are still my words. Oh, somehow I went your debug mode. I'd be surprised if anybody could hear me through that. What? See? Um, I don't know. I, I somehow smashed some keys that entered me into debug mode. And I was like... I wonder... oh i heard you <laughs> i was like how <laughs> I mean, you know, debug for for uh my browser discord so like you know it brings up all the code running and stuff i'm like oh. Oh, well, if anything's gonna wow. crash a crash discord that'll be it <laughs> so here's some tips to um just to get your just to get your Get you in the right place for writing in a big fandom. Have a very focused concept. Going in there willy-nilly in a big fandom is just going to get you... You're going to be 100K in and, and not know where you are. Um. Your first time out of the gate, keep your subplots minimal. And I would say, write novella or shorter. Don't go into a new fandom with a giant plot. Have yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep it short. Build up. Um, Have your um have your characterization concrete. Know who you're using, where they're coming from, what they want, and how they're going to get there. This isn't about plotting. Well, we could do a whole thing on that. Figure out what pieces of information you don't have in the fandom that you need. And do your research in advance. And finally, for, for reals, pick one exploration aspect. So, like, if you're writing in Harry Potter, you don't want your characters going in ten different directions exploring various aspects of the fandom. Like, um, uh, Magical healing, the DMLE, the World Court, the ICW, the Horcrux Hunt, ritual magic. You need to have a trajectory for your characters that makes sense. So, if they're going to use ritual magic to get rid of Voldemort in the end, then obviously you don't want your characters um, spending three chapters um, figuring out how um, divination works. <laughs> because it doesn't serve your story because it doesn't serve your story right and it's easy especially if you go into a fandom a big fandom with with a big world right that where there are a lot of popular tropes it is easy to want to like see how many tropes you can slam in how many elements common fan and elements you can put in the story it's easy to want to play with them all it doesn't, it won't serve you. Having elements, and the funny thing is when you throw elements in your story that you don't do anything with, what do you get? Questions about when you're going to write the sequel. And to some degree, you're going to get that anyway from some people. But when you throw a bunch of big elements in a story that you don't do anything with, you kind of brought that shit on yourself. I'm not saying people should be bugging you, but when you leave all that dangling stuff because you didn't do anything with it, it feels like it was foreshadowing. That's what it feels like foreshadowing for a sequel like why are these major elements why is this all this major world building they did nothing with i read a story where um there was this major thing and i don't mean it's like a little thing and it was like at this major plot element i mean like the whole setup of the story hung on this piece of world building and it was never explained what that piece of world building was about Ever, (laughs) ever. It was like, it was the foundation of how the story happened. Never explained. That's like going into the, um, the movie inception and never being told how the passive works. Or what it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's just you can't... You, you set yourself up to... And, and the thing is, actually, even as foreshadowing, that's kind of bad foreshadowing because you don't want people feeling like your story just didn't go anywhere. Because what if your story went somewhere perfectly fine? It's just the biggest element of your story was a throwaway. You don't... And so that's what you can... It, you, can it, you can be kind of get distracted by the shiny things in a new fandom. Oh, we're going to deal with this. We're going to deal with this. We're going to deal with this. But if they don't serve your plot, they're distractions. And if they're bigger, if those distractions are bigger than your actual plot, than the actual point of your story, then it feels like your story isn't finished. And that's just the reality of the story craft, right? I mean, technically, only the author can say if a story is finished or not. Only the author can be the... The author is the final source on whether or not a story is done. It's perfectly reasonable to leave yourself little threads you can pull later to do a sequel. Yeah. But to leave the big giant thread in the middle that you built your whole story on dangling because you ran out of ideas and you don't know how to finish it so you just say the end. How many times have you seen that? Yeah, or, Or because you were just throwing everything in the kitchen sink into the story and it sounded cool but you didn't ever have any intention of using it. I read a story that had all of this effort and energy put into explaining time travel and how time travel worked and the person who was capable of doing time travel like pretty much whenever they wanted they could do time travel right so there was it was like all this stuff it's this big thing right and then all of this find out for starters nobody ever does any time travel there's just a lot of it's just like a time travel wank no time travel but not only that the person who does all the person who reveals the time travel the the person who says they can do it the person who talks about the how it works who goes to all this effort of explaining it eventually then tells people but i would never do it and you can't make me and there's nothing you could say to persuade me otherwise And you get to the end of the story and the story had nothing to do with time travel time travel wasn't an element at all that whole thing that whole explanation all this world building around time travel served no purpose (laughs) it was nothing it was just this giant you can't even call it a subplot it was like this world building thing they did that went nowhere and then the character just goes i'm holding i'm i'm holding the back of my head (laughs) And the thing is you see that on a smaller scale the time people throw some big element they think is interesting into a story and then do nothing with it. And the consequence of that is the audience gets at the end of the story and goes, this story isn't done. It doesn't feel done. Why? Maybe they can't articulate why, but the why is because of all these giant world building elements that you put in that serve no purpose and that can be the down. that can be the thing that happens and either you ran out of ideas you're in that syndrome or you're in a new fandom and you're throwing in all the common things without having any plan for what you're going to do with them which is why when kira says have you want to be tight and focused in a new fandom stick to the pieces that you need if you're writing in the hobbit for the first time Stick to the things you need to tell your story. Don't go into the history of the elves, you know, all back to the dawn of time, if your story isn't about elves. Because we don't care. And it doesn't help you. And if it's more interesting, if that piece about the elven history that you've delved into is more interesting than the Hobbit story that you've told, you've now ruined your own story because you have this world-building element that went nowhere that's more interesting than the actual story you told. And I've read so many stories that are just like that. It's like, wow, this subplot that went nowhere is way more interesting than the actual plot. <laughs> how tragic. And that's how Stiles Stelinski became the more interesting character on Teen Wolf. There you go. Just say it. <laughs> so you're approaching this big fandom... You know, don't, if let's say it's, let's say, you know, it's fantasy, fantasy fandoms, paranormal fandoms are, um, it is tempting. Okay, so we're talking about Teen Wolf. It is tempting in Teen Wolf to want to deal with every problem in Teen Wolf. You can't deal with every problem. If you've never written the fandom before, you can't deal with every single problem. You gotta, and the thing is, you can lay some foundation that, that a, a, an intuitive reader who knows the canon would see how it would ripple out into solving some of these future problems. But if that's not the main thrust of your story, you can't put too much energy into stuff that's not happening on screen. It's not gonna help you. Well, one way you could fix all the problems.
1: Well, not all of them,
0: but a great many problems in Teen Wolf is that the night that... Okay, just bear with me a minute. Scott and Stiles go into the woods after Stiles' dad told them not to, right? Yes. So, what if the sheriff followed them realizing that they had not paid attention to him? They follow him. He gets there just in time to see peter biting scott he shoots peter peter loses it kills scott ends up biting styles before the sheriff can shoot him again and kill him then scott's dead and peter's dead and styles is a wolf <clears throat> would be maybe potentially the alpha werewolves I don't know if they can inherit the alpha powers if that quickly or not. I mean, that but, would solve a lot of the Scott problems. It would solve all <laughs> the Scott problems if he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, except for Stiles' his broken heart because his best friend is dead. <laughs> He'll get over it. He'll be getting a new best friend. with it. <laughs> I, I think because it was, it was Stiles' idea to go. I actually wouldn't. Personally, do that. I just because Styles' Styles idea. It was Styles' idea to go out in the woods, and I think the guilt would be crippling for him as a character. Okay, Okay. so if we don't kill Scott, maybe Scott doesn't get bitten at all. But the sheriff interrupts it and tries to, and when he's attacking Scott, and Peter retaliates by biting Styles. And with the sheriff in the know from the beginning, things would be a lot different. I've heard there are some stories um, where uh, the sheriff gets bitten instead. Um, I mean, it's not really teen wolf in that case, but whatever. Um, it's not the direction I would personally go, but. Where um, the sheriff gets bitten? Yeah, it's not the direction I would personally go. But I mean, I could see why somebody would explore that concept, that potential. Because, you know, it, it is an interesting what if. If you start at the first episode and you have things go differently. Um, but when it comes to... But can you deal with that and deal with fixing all the issues around the hail fire? And deal with... I mean, there's so much potential stuff to fix. Um, and the further in the canon you go... Um, well, I have, a, I have a question. Are werewolves and team wolf that... A bullet could. A bullet to the head. Could he should put a still bullet in him. Peter's head. Kill him. Yeah, it, I it mean, I would think so. Yeah, I, yeah, it, probably, probably. Or um, more than one, because it might take more than one. A bullet anywhere else probably wouldn't. But, but through, the head, through the head, through the head, him down. Through the head should should still kill him. Yeah, it depends on the type of but yeah, odds are if he got a, a, a you know a, a large caliber. Mean, some humans survive bullets to the brain. So, you know, if it's if it's conceivable he could survive, but multiple rounds, especially like a 45 to the brain, um would would kill him still. Yeah. But they definitely can survive. So, say the sheriff shoots Peter to get him off Scott. Scott doesn't get bitten. But the bullet isn't enough to stop him. And Peter retaliates by attacking Styles and he gets a bite in before the sheriff can can shoot him again because he doesn't want to shoot at him while he, you know, he's on trying. his son. Right. He doesn't yeah. want to sh- accidentally shoot his own kid. And by the time he gets Peter off of him and kills him, it's too late. Styles has been bitten. Right. And I do think you could actually that you could actually write that. As a redemption art for Scott. In a way. Sort of pre-redemption or something. Because I think a lot of what went wrong with Scott. Is I think the the powers. And the popularity and stuff. For a teenage boy that age. Just turned him into an idiot. Especially one who had been pretty much crippled. By his asthma up to that point. Um, But you also have to take into account. That he does have this inferiority complex. um, And Styles. Getting all of that. But I don't think Styles would have it. See, Styles didn't have the health problem, so it's not going to help him in that way. He's not. No, I don't he'd know. be fitter. I think he'd be stronger. He'd be. He would um, be, but I don't think he's the type to show off with it, though. I think he would be sensitive, more sensitive to the careful. The ass. I don't think because, like, I don't think joining lacrosse. I think that was Scott's dream. I don't ever. My impression was it was never Styles' dream. So I think that Scott would actually eventually be jealous of Styles. Oh, regardless I think he, he, potentially yes but i think if scott can't get on get on the lacrosse team styles wouldn't either so the, the potential for jealousy um but it, what would be interesting would be then to see scott wanting to be a werewolf as opposed to because scott was played the victim over the werewolf thing the whole way unless um, he gets with allison yeah, that's true. Now, what he could do is become a bigot. And if you don't want to write Scott becoming a better person through this, you could make him a worse person, which is that he tells the hunters about styles. Well, without being a werewolf, he wouldn't have the physicality to be a hunter. I'm not saying he'd be a hunter. I, I was talking to the person in the chat room saying it. Yeah, but I could definitely see him being so enamored of, uh, and he would have a good feeling about um Werewolves because of the way Sc- Styles was attacked. So it'd be a pretty easy walk to him telling him the Argents. Well. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but it'd be a pretty easy walk to him telling the Argents that about Styles attack and putting Styles at risk. Someone says in the chat room that Chris would shoot, could could die from being shot by Chris who's looking for the alpha. Chris wouldn't shoot a human boy looking for an alpha. Would 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 Scott even know Chris? Would Allison give asthmatic Scott the time of day? Probably (laughs) not. She might. I mean, they seemed kind of enamored with each other before she saw him playing lacrosse. But it's hard. But Kate would definitely. She wouldn't hesitate to kill anybody to get who she wanted. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could go because it isn't something that is remotely explored in canon. And you could take Scott any of in quite a few different directions with him not being bitten, including that he comes to want to be bitten, which I think would be an interesting exploit To me, that would be an interesting exploration because he played the victim card over being a werewolf through the whole fucking show. Yeah. He so. Did I mean, I didn't watch it, but I've heard you guys talk about it a lot. But see, okay, so they said in the chat room that Scott gets shot when the Alpha calls him into the woods. Well, then he wouldn't get called into the woods because he's not a werewolf. He's right, just so this he dumb kid there. going to high school with Beacon in, in Beacon Hills with asthma. He would honestly probably be overshadowed unless he, unless he purposely put himself into that position. And how would he know that Allison Arjun is a hunter? And after what had happened, he wouldn't have any, he wouldn't even want to be in the woods at night by himself. So if he wasn't being called, why in the world would he be out there? I don't think he'd go out there for love or money. I don't either. He'd be afraid of being bitten, especially at that point in the canon. So anyway, so the thing is, and that can be a difficult thing. So, like, let's say you are as an example about how to approach a big canon. so i wouldn't say teen wolf has the biggest canon like it hasn't got no, an enormous no. canon it hasn't got the, but it's got a lot of fuck they, they do a lot of weird shit that doesn't make any sense but let's say um let's say um you want to approach writing teen wolf and you've read a ton of teen wolf fan fiction right and that's all you haven't seen the show so you're trying to approach a new fandom or whatever and let's say you want to you want to Put your stake in the ground. And you want to tell a tight, compact story at the end of season two after Styles, I'm going to pick this one because it's my favorite canon divergence point. Where after Styles gets kidnapped and he goes and he tells his father. Let's say you want to write that story. Okay? That is easy to keep tight and contained and to do the research on. But the idea we were just tossing around where you diverge in the very first episode. And that relies... Figuring out your ripples and which way you're going to jump does require more canon knowledge at that point, because you're, you're, you're basically wiping canon out in a lot of ways. So it's hard to tell if you don't know the canon, which elements are going to come into play. And also to figure out what is a realistic characterization, you kind of have to have some familiarity with the character. So that is a much bigger task to basically obliterate Canon and figure out the ripples and figure out, okay, well, which things are still going to happen and which ones aren't is a bigger task coming into something than it is to put a stake in the ground and change a discrete event and write a novella, something novella length, um, around an event that is well explored. So, you know, don't give yourself. If you're going into a big fandom, especially if it's new, uh, new, don't give yourself. Uh, we talk about in rough trade. Don't give yourself extra challenges. So, like sometimes the challenge is all you need. Like sometimes the challenge in rough trade should be plenty challenging. Like it's like the word count plus the theme can be plenty. Don't give yourself a new fandom on top of it. Um, so we've, we've had that discussion before, but the same thing really applies when you're approaching a new fandom. Don't give yourself novel length and events you're not unf- not familiar with and characters you're not familiar with and a big world. Start <laughs> with something. Give yourself a more discreet package so, so, that, so that you feel... And ripples you don't see coming. Right. Because it's it's really hard to anticipate. And you're out of your comfort zone because it's new. Um, You know, like if the first story you wrote... I know the first like novel length Kira finished was a time travel in the MCU, but she'd written other things in the MCU before she did that small things. She had some unfinished works, and she's read a fuck ton of MCU. So you know, then she then she approached something novel length. But I didn't do it on rough trade. No, I mean I've didn't. tried rough trade before with the MCU. I would not have tried unleash your demons on a um, on during Nana. And she had an alpha reader and she had lots of time to go back and do revisions and do second drafts. So there were stages, right? There was trying a smaller story. There were stories that didn't work. There were short stories. There were stages of familiarity and she knows the canon. And I played to my own strength. Right. And that's a really big one. Um, There are a couple of places in my writing craft where I am very comfortable um, finding ripples, characterization, and the romantic elements. And so having these having these strengths on my plate, uh, it's easier to approach an idea like Unleash Your Demons. But if I had an issue with ripples, the last thing I would do is write time travel until I'd mastered it to the point where I wouldn't be a frustrated mess by chapter six. Yeah, time travel, going into a new fandom and writing time travel in it. I mean, some fandoms that would be a nightmare to do. Um I didn't, you know, I didn't even my my third pro I didn't even approach to I mean, I'm fairly comfortable with Harry Potter Canon. And I didn't approach time travel in it till my third story. So Although I doubt I'll ever write anything but time travel in Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> so I just need to fix all the shit. Um, um, but I, I actually think um, as much as I enjoy time travel fixes I do really enjoy them. They're one of my favorite tropes. If I, I'd probably say it's my favorite trope uh, as far as that goes um, across fandoms. Um, I think I'm more comfortable in Harry Potter and um, just a straight up alternate universe. Or a deep canon divergence. Yeah. Well, you might have noticed that I don't write the main characters being the trio ever. So, um, time travel is a little bit more comfortable for me because if those adults were going to learn thing in the original learn something in their original timeline, things would have gone differently. So, it's a lot easier for me to let the fuck up happen and then throw them back in time. Yeah. I would like to write a really big piece from Minerva McGonagall's point of view. Even if I were doing it from Minerva's, I'd still do time travel because she fucked up too. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's what I was saying. If I, if I was going to do like an adult time travel, it'd be Minerva. Yeah, um, or maybe Sirius so, Black. But, like, I... but just don't throw Minerva. when you're when you're bouncing into a new fandom, a big fandom. Don't give yourself all the challenges, a giant story, and. I know that some people write big Um, person who asks this question writes big. She has big ideas. Um, Which is great. Having being able to conceptualize a big story is a skill. Some people struggle to learn, but sometimes if you're giving yourself other challenges, you need to learn to scale back your, your ability to conceptualize a big story and give yourself something more focused so that you can, get into a comfort zone because part of the reason why it feels intimidating is because you're out of your comfort zone so and one way not... to get into your um to, to find a really to to compact your idea is even if you're not a plotter um going into your sto- story knowing your beginning your middle and your end knowing where you need to be by say you're gonna write 20 chapters say so that's your goal you need to know where you're gonna where you need to be with your characters and your story by chapter ten, and then you need to know where you're gonna be by chapter fifteen, because that's probably gonna be roughly the beginning of your climax. Ish, so it could be chapter nineteen, depending on how much falling action you have for your idea and how much wrap up you have to do after your climax. But knowing your beginning, your middle, and your end, and where they should sit in your structure. Will give you a compact package to work with. Yeah. Now we talked. We, we, we talked about who asked asked the question, which was Daisy. Daisy writes a lot of Stargate. She writes a lot of Stargate, especially Stargate Atlantis. Um, Stargate is a big canon. It is not a small canon fandom. No, it's huge because it, there are three, in- um, There are three series. Uh, there's books. I don't read the books, um, but there are three series and um, I don't know how it will. No, the movie doesn't count. Um, well, some of the setup from the first movie does count because it is well, the foundation for the series. They yeah, don't use all so, of it. It's so divorced. I mean, well, yes and I mean, no, but they, they It I mean, it sets the foundation for how Daniel wound up. The, char- the characters are wildly different, but the the events still play. So, but the thing is, the reason I brought that up is because it is, it is a huge canon and and daisy handles that canon like a boss so she knows that canon so she knows how to she knows how to deal with a big daisy you know how to deal with the big canon fandom but it's it's a matter of you're in your comfort zone with stargate you know the canon um you know when you have an idea you know how to conceptualize it across all the different elements of the fandom you know how to work with the timeline so the difference is comfort zone And when you're talking about, you're talking about approaching, like, I don't know what fandoms you're looking into, girl, but, you know, whether it's, um, whether it's the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, which is basically the same fandom, but whether, you know, whether, whether it's a big thing like that, or whether you're thinking about going off into Supernatural, which also has an enormous canon, um, you, you know how to deal with a big canon. It's just a matter of giving yourself time to get comfortable. You and that's need to find your spot. As yeah. Sheldon would say. You need to find your spot. <laughs> like when I approach um Teen Wolf, I will never be a season three, season four, Teen Wolf rider because I don't like those events. Cause because that, that's her spot. She found my spot, her spot. My spot is season one and season two. That's sometimes, that's my lane. I'm staying in it, unless I write a time travel story. Char- um, so sometimes your spot is a plot point. Sometimes your spot is a place in the timeline. And sometimes your spot is a single character. And sometimes your spot is a pairing. But knowing your spot is super important. So you gotta find. And if you don't know it in that new fandom, if you don't know what it is yet, that's why give yourself some time to get comfortable to figure out the spot. You know, pick up and do some one-sentence prompts. And, and, and you know, and if you don't have a one-sentence prompt, if we don't have a one-sentence prompt for you um, in that fandom, you know, ping us. I'll write you a sentence for the fandom that you want. You tell me what characters you like, we'll write you a sentence, girl. We're all about... We'll make you work. We'll give you some homework. So... You start with something smaller. Give yourself a five k goal or something. Um, I know you write ten, You you you're, you. I've seen you write quite a different, a few length, different length stories, but I do think you tend to gravitate towards like, at least even if you're writing in smaller pieces, they tend to be conceptually bigger ideas. Um, but give yourself just time to approach it so if you're thinking about something like that for rough trade (laughs) in november like going into a new fandom i don't know what your thoughts are and what your plans are but i mean you've got time to see if you can get comfortable and find your spot find the lane you want to be in um you've got time to write a couple of shorts um or or if life is busy then don't plan on a new fandom for november give yourself time to if you're thinking about something new for the quantum bang you definitely have time to do some experimenting and you can either experiment with just start something and see how it goes or try to write a couple of short stories and see if it feels comfortable see if you can start to figure out where your spot is you know because it's not even about staying in your lane it's about like i find you find the you know the point you're going to plant yourself in and you're just like got 360 degrees of swivel and it's like this is i'm sticking with this character or this pairing or this this divergent point or this whatever and i'm just going to find this out you directions. gotta figure out who you love who you hate what happened to them and whether or not you agree with it With that big old with that big old cannon you've got that you're worried about, and you're worried about figuring out your ripples or whatever, you got to give yourself a space and permission to find your comfort zone, and permission to not be comfortable. You may not like it. Some people write in one fandom their entire time they write in fandom, and that's okay. And some people change fandoms like they change their panties. <laughs> it's just. There's some author, I mean, I have just a disturbing number of authors I follow. I, I say disturbing because I don't read Good Omens, but a disturbing number of them have been putting out Good Omen stories. And I'm just like, why is my inbox filled with Good Omen stories? This is not what, not what I ex- signed up for. <sighs> But you know, the thing is, is, I actually, on the one hand, I'm like, great, people are, are branching out, they're exploring new things. And then I'm sitting there going, but I'm not going to read that. So it's making me sad that this author I follow is not writing something I'm going to read. So, Ellie, I've not watched Good Omens. I mean, I think I need to just for pop culture reference because <laughs> that's yeah, missing just, out. It's like taking over the world. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I felt like that about Game of Thrones for a while. And then I watched a couple of episodes and I was like, no. I've never felt I don't, that I way don't... about um, Game of Thrones because I was warned in advance by one of my cousins um, when the books first started coming out that I should never read it. And I was like, okay. okay. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get that heads up. It would have been nice. Um, but you just give yourself permission and time to find where you're comfortable. Um if you've got a giant idea, if you've got a big idea, and you have got that big what if, and you're going into this new fandom, set your big your big what if aside, and take some element of that, whether it's the pairing or the divergence point, or the main character or whatever, and give yourself time to figure out something smaller. It could be, you could even want it could wind up being a prequel to a bigger work. It could be the first episode, what becomes a series. It might be a standalone thing that's an experiment. Whatever. But just give yourself, I, we can be very, and writers can be just as impatient in their way as anybody else, right? And we want to dig in sometimes on this, this idea, but we can also stall ourselves out because we get in and we don't know how to start. We feel overwhelmed. There are too many ripples. We don't know how to account for the ripples because we don't understand the canon. We don't know how this is gonna um, impact other characters. And also if it's a new fandom, you know, hook up with somebody, find somebody who knows the canon really well. Even if you know it reasonably well, but you're like not an expert, find somebody or find a forum or something where you can talk about the canon and ask questions. I admit to finding um uh Jason Momoa's uh casting in Game of Thrones very tempting, but I'm glad I didn't give into that temptation considering what I found out about his character. Um it would have ruined him for me. Yeah, it's, it's nice. just it's just some things you don't need in your head. Oh, what okay, so somebody is it, uh- in reference to this somebody asked what do you do if canon contradicts itself um do what you I mean you, you you're you in the part you like yeah that works for you and, and sometimes the contradictions are you don't like either in which case just go fuck it i'm gonna do what works um don't literally fuck it <laughs> no <laughs> I mean, don't 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 double bird canon in a way that it tanks your story. That's not going to help you. But if it's not a particularly relevant piece of of your story, uh, and one element, one side of canon or the other doesn't work for you, you know, just like I find in Teen Wolf that magic is so the magical theory in there's in, in Teen Wolf is so poorly explained that I would rather just do my own thing. Um. And invent my own world building for magic, even if it contradicts something in canon, because the canon is contradictory in and of itself. So, in that regard, I don't feel, I don't worry about contradicting canon by doing my own thing, because since canon contradicts itself, it's inherently unreliable, and I just don't care. Um, yeah, I think it's best to pick the part, the parts of canon that serve your your plot, and if you think there there could be confusion for your readers, put a little author note in it. And move uh-huh. on, and don't entertain any comments that that are irritated about your decision. If they don't like your decisions, just delete their comments because their input is not valuable. <laughs> yeah, and, and I agree about that. People talk about, oh, you're deleting all the negative comments. Well, so what?
1: Fuck if, if you! It's, it's not my just... shit.
0: It's my shit. I don't. Here's the thing: they are entitled to have their 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 opinion, but I'm not required to listen to it. You don't have to give it space. And you don't have to give it value. Somebody else's opinion does not, you are not required to have, to find value in somebody else's opinion. Despite what the world, despite what fandom or YouTube or the internet would tell you, you don't have to find value in other people's opinions. Yeah, you don't have to allow it. It is not freedom of speech. People scream about freedom of speech, which is the most bizarre thing I've ever heard come out of people on the, the internet. Yeah. I, well, I wasn't planning I can't on arresting you. not infringe on your freedom. As much as I would like to arrest like you for what you just said, I actually don't have the authority. Therefore, I'm not infringing. <laughs> <laughs> but if I did, you'd be in a world of shit right now. I'll <laughs> just let like, you know. Like, hey, if I could actually infringe on your freedom, freedom of speech, I'd totally do it. But since I can't, because I'm not a government entity, Shut the fuck up. Yeah, Teen Wolf just doesn't explain, like, literally anything, practically. Um, So, you're left to do a lot of your own explaining, and I think it's more important that your story be internally consistent. Um, That being said about the bodies in the house, um, some house fires burn so hot that sometimes all they have left is bones or bone fragments. And they might have assumed based on the number of people in the family and the amount of bones recovered that they had everybody. Yeah. The the real question is, is why didn't. Laura. Why didn't the sister, the older sister, what was her name? Laura. 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 Why didn't Laura recognize that her sister was still around? Yeah. She should have inherited all those bonds, right? Yeah, she should have. But I mean, the, 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 there is an there is an inherent contradiction also about the fire, which is that everybody died in that fire. It was such a bad fire. Peter was so badly burned. The structure is relatively intact, which makes no sense. I mean, it looks smoked out, but it doesn't look burned out. So they wanted to have that. Ha- they you know. So they contradict themselves there a little bit. In my when I write the story, I I uh, um. Tend to write it being because for everybody to have died, that house should have been more burned than it was. If they had eight bodies, but there were supposedly 11 people in the building, then they would have assumed that the other bodies were, um, they disintegrated in the fire, which is entirely likely and possible. Now, when I wrote my quantum bang, um, I would have contradicted canon if I needed to. So I, was I don't think for- was Malia in the fire. I thought Malia. I, I didn't even think he knew about Malia. No, Malia wasn't in the fire. She was. Uh, she was a coyote, right? She was. She was his surprise kid. She wasn't at the fire. That, I think they're talking about they had. They wanted. I think that was in relation to that they wanted a, a hail that Styles could potentially fuck, and they said that's why. That's why Cora, and then later. Malia. Oh. Oh. Okay. Okay, um, but anyway, so when I wrote my Q when I wrote my QB, I didn't there was this weird moment where it's like, if I'd needed to contradict Canon, I absolutely would have. If I'd needed to double bird some aspect of Canon, I would have up to you know that happened prior to my divergence point. Um, but I, I don't know the canon well. the funny thing, and I got to this point of was like, but if I don't need to contradict Canon up to the divergence point, if I don't need to, I don't actually want to, but the problem is I hadn't seen enough of the show to know if I had contradicted. So I asked somebody who knows the Canon really well, just star Kindler. If they wanted to read the story, if they'd mind reading it, and let me know if I contradicted any of the Canon up to the point that I diverged. And the answer was no, apparently that I hadn't. Um, but I had done that based upon reading scripts. I'd seen, I watched like five episodes total. Um, and I fast forwarded through a lot of stuff of the episodes I did watch and I read a lot of scripts <laughs> and I read a lot of episode summaries and, um, and then got a little bit lucky that I didn't contradict Canon up to that. Um, did you really? <laughs> oh my God. Now I feel bad. honey. <laughs> <Funny. sighs> Starkindler actually rewatched some of the show. To Way to take another. one for the team. Wow. Wow. Because honestly, I don't know anybody who knows T- Teen Wolf canon better than Starkindler. So um, and now she knows it doubly well. Jesus. <laughs> wow. That's a true blue friend for you there. Somebody who rewatched Teen Wolf for you. But I did not know that. <laughs> wow, I'm just, now I'm like extra doubly thankful. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes you just get that help, right? You get that little extra bit of help that says, okay, have I messed up the canon here? And sometimes something may, the person may come back and go, well, actually you contradicted this one thing. But it, sometimes just knowing where you've contradicted is all you need as an author to feel better about it. And then you just go, but I'm not gonna change it. Or sometimes you go, oh, well, that's such a minor thing. I can just take it out. And it doesn't change anything. And then you can just feel like, okay, I'm, I'm Canon compliant up to the point of divergence, which is what I actually was hoping for. And actually, I think that the, if the sequence of events in, that I referenced in there, um, it, the, one of the parts, again, this is before I actually approached Star Kindler about reading the finished story, was there was, a, in my mind, I was trying to get the sequence of events that happened around the Kanima, correct? Because I wanted, I wanted to know if Stiles was right in blaming the Argents for all the deaths at the sheriff station. And based upon my reading of the sequence of events, it seemed like that they were that if they hadn't been chasing werewolves instead of dealing with the Kanama, that they would have dealt with the Kanama before the sheriff station. So I wanted to get a read on that um, while this was while I was still writing writing it. And so I'd ask somebody. Um, to who just knew Team Wolf canon from the first couple seasons really well, if they if I could run something by them, and they read this one section, I said, "Is there any reason why this wouldn't be true?" And they agreed with that assessment that there's a reason to assume that that if if uh, Victoria Argent hadn't been out chasing after Scott um, and forcing that Styles to break the mountain ash line, that they would have been able to deal with the canama that night and all of Styles' father's deputies would not have been murdered. Right. Um, cause I wanted to make sure that, cause to me that was actually a really critical piece of canon interpretation that I didn't want to get wrong. So other stuff I would have been okay with having fucked up. But I needed to know if that piece of that interpretation would be seen as reasonable because a lot really hinged on it. So while I was still writing, um, I had to get some input on that, so I didn't go much further without because a lot in my plot hinged on uh, Styles calling on that blood debt on Chris. So actually, it's a lot um, plot plot in the, for the, the, the foreshadowing for the sequel is actually it's more important for that. But there, the whole um, GS that he called down for me, which is like basically the magical version of "Don't start none, won't be none." right (laughs) so but because it was still in the writing process i had to go find a canon source to say i just wanted to i mean i read i'd read all the sequence of events and i thought my interpretation was correct or at least my assessment my my interpretation of those ripples was that they could have stopped all that before all those deputies died and my interpretation is that styles probably knew a lot of those deputies since he was a kid and and they could have if they weren't so busy trying to Murder Scott. or Scott's boner for their daughter. Right. So I, before I went any further in the writing, I want to be sure that that my assessment of that, there wasn't anything that contradicted that was, that was off. And so I got some input right then on it. And then I went on and finished the story. And then I got somebody who was really familiar with Canon to read the whole thing and get, give me some feedback on if I had screwed Canon up prior to my divergence point. So I think you got to be prepared for that when you're approaching. Even if it's a canon you think you know fairly well, like the MCU, is you might want to stop at some point and go, okay, I'm at a critical point in my writing. I really need some help with making sure I haven't missed anything. And get that, that feedback from someone, whether it's an alpha reader to read what you've written and give you some feedback, or someone who can look at your plot, who knows the canon really well, and tell you if you have interpreted events and the, the consequences of those events. If in you a way may know the reasonable. Characterization that's reasonable, um, that's on point, right? And so, it's reasonable to to stop and go. Okay, I need some feedback from somebody. Can I and and get some help? And then, you know, when you're done, you can if if you get your rough draft done, then you may want an alpha reader to go in and, and give you the the kind of the big picture look at everything. And don't be afraid to to take that those breaks and 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 get that that feedback into the process. Um, You can even do it up front. If you're a plotter and you have all this stuff laid out up front and you can get somebody who understands the canon really well and and understands what you're, what you're looking for, like ripples and characterization. And um, you can do that before you ever start writing. And that can be really helpful when you're really out of your comfort zone. Because like when I'm working on an NCIS story, I don't, I, I don't get usually get much... up, Not always, but I don't usually need to get upfront feedback about the ripple effect of stuff because um, I'm comfortable with the canon and how to interpret what the effects will be based upon the character and stuff. But every once in a while, and it still happens, every once in a while I stumble and go, okay, I, I'm missing something. So that can happen no matter how familiar you are. But when I'm going into a fandom and I'm writing something bigger, like novel length or bigger and i'm out of my element i get help it's totally cool to ask for help and i was talking to somebody um i think it's a couple of months ago who had this perception that i don't ever ask for help and that you don't ever ask for help kira that we well, talk that's about really crazy cakes because I know. I've got a whole chat session dedicated to myself asking the bitches, "Hey, would you guys read this shit and tell me if it's stupid?" <laughs> <laughs> that is like literally something I say to them. "Read this please and tell me if it's stupid." <laughs> yeah, I've 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 been there. And the thing is I think they they hear us talk about we ask each other but it's like i don't know if they don't believe it or or what but here's proof right here somebody in the chat in, in, that can confirm that i came to somebody and asked for help now if i need help with harry potter canon i'm gonna go to kira if i need help with stargate canon i'm gonna go to kira ladyholder if i need help with how to make something extra cracky i'm gonna ask azure <laughs> so if i give bilbo the potato cannon here <laughs> azure, I need to level up the crack Help, but is <laughs> <As laughs> actually very good for um yeah humor um she's got a great wit she's got a great wit um so she's good for that and um you can what always uh, or find her you can always find the elements that um can be really amusing and to even say okay was this funny or no because I knew I'd hit the mark on the see- on the teachers. <laughs> meeting in Darkly Lowell when she said that she laughed so hard she cried. I was like, I knew I'd succeeded. Because I don't actually... I think writing humor is actually one of my low points as a writer. So I never set out to do it. I never say, okay, this scene should be funny. What I normally say in the chat in my event log that I'm creating, okay, I need to lighten the mood here. Because I don't think I'm funny. (laughs) So, and sometimes what I think is funny isn't funny to anybody else. Yeah, there's that problem too. Apparently, the funniest thing I've ever written I thought was mildly amusing. And the feedback I got on it was it was the funniest thing I'd ever written. I'm not sure if I was like, really? Really? I don't think this is the funniest thing. I ever. And which was that Deadpool crack thing. It was hilarious. <laughs> I have to say. Um, but I didn't actually. I thought it was amusing. But I didn't think that it was that funny. You know. It's one of those things. I set out for it to be kind of absurd. And cracky. But I didn't really set out for it to be funny. Some in the chat room about Peter's motivations for af- um, asking Styles, I mean, if he'd like to be bitten, if he'd like to be a werewolf, um, adaptable was very funny. To the point, whenever I see the word adaptable, it makes me giggle. <laughs> yeah, 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 Noah, you're real adaptable, poor man. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so because adaptable, <laughs> because I meant adaptable so 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 sarcastically, some. of very seriously wrote me one day about, with all the evidence of exactly how adaptable Noah was. I was like, okay. I know. I wrote a whole fic about it. <laughs> yeah, you guys are taking this story way too seriously. Like, literally, I wrote a whole fic about how adaptable he is. Um, what I would say about Peter, having never watched the show. If you if I don't give you a reason, you need to look at his characterization. Um, and what what are the reasons why he would offer to bite styles? Um you can go a couple of different directions, actually, that he wanted a um a beta that was energetic and smart and quick on his feet. He wanted Styles. Wasn't all that interested in waiting for him to grow up, which is gross. Um, He wanted to fuck with Derek. And that would do it. He recognized the epic fucking mistake he made when he bit Scott and hoped to make a better decision. (laughs) it's and the same thing is peter wasn't big on giving people choices at that point and he did give styles a choice so you do kind of have to to an- respect right so you have to kind of analyze what that's about and i think that you could throw some motivations out based on the fact that they don't fit why he would give styles a choice when he didn't give lydia a choice and he didn't give scott a choice um so why styles And I my headcanon is that I think he at that point wanted styles for a beta, but he knew he wouldn't be able to control him if it wasn't willing. Because styles was way too strong willed and he couldn't afford another beta that he couldn't control. I think styles would have probably tried to kill him, but styles was already trying to kill him. So I don't know that that would have been really any different. I think that for me, it it's that he knew he couldn't afford styles that wasn't loyal to him to be a werewolf and so that's why he i think if he'd bitten styles against his will then he would have immediately gone and sought a different alpha yeah he i think he would have styles would have i i think that but i i don't think styles would have given up on trying to kill especially at that point he would not have given up on trying to kill peter cuz he wasn't going to let peter control him so he couldn't afford I think if anybody, Peter recognized that Stiles could be a great asset, but he could also could be a a terrible threat and he couldn't afford to force that decision on Styles. So I think that's why he gave him the choice and he didn't obviously, which means at that point he didn't perceive Lydia or Scott as a threat. Now I have seen some interpretations that Peter recognized what Lydia was and that he was biting her to activate her, gifts and to enact his resurrection plan in case he did get killed so there's that potential interpretation about biting lydia but definitely um you know you, you could write all three bite potential th- all three as having different motivations and that's why he behaved differently or you could write the first two as being very similar blitz attacks and then the third one being distinctly different and then you've got to look at well why was that distinctly different Well, he was out of his mind when he bit Scott, right? Yes. Conceivably. Probably. This is a small production note. Around this time during the podcast, we had a recording failure. And basically, there's about 10 minutes of missing footage. um, Footage? that's probably not the right word for that anyways what happened during this part is that I talked about my dog Cisco and how um he used to smack my other dog Jack in the back of the head when Jack would misbehave um and so that's really all that's missing from this part so uh thank you and now the podcast will continue as normal audio gets the Okay, <laughs> sorry guys. Whoever starts the auto gets the gets the download. So we sorry were, about I, that, guys. I, think, I imagine we got cut off when we, when you were talking about you know, Gibbs and Donozo dogs. Oh yeah, so yeah, he would just smack him in the back of the head. But you so. would, I mean, you'd have had to call him Jethro or something, because you wouldn't have wanted your your precious puppy to be called Gibbs for the rest of his life. No, because Gibbs turned out to be an asshole. But um. Uh. I do miss him like crazy. It is. And sometimes this is really weird. Um, He would, uh, sometimes he would come into the kitchen when I was cooking and lean up against the back of my leg. And uh, I have sense memories of that. And sometimes if I'm cooking something that um, I cook all the time, it's very familiar, has very familiar smells. That smell will trigger a memory of him leaning up against the back of my leg and I can almost feel him. It's, It's very weird. I can understand that though. So, but yeah. But you were telling. Like, so you're talking about that you dropped. You we, we've finished. So the rough draft of the feeding frenzy is done. Kira got her part. And it is the the it, it wrapped up with a bang. I really yeah. I I had a whole bunch of different ideas, but when I sat down to actually write it, it was just like okay, no this this is this is what I need. So, but yeah, I mean, I I think I don't know how many word count we are, but it'll yeah. be about it, pretty close to a 100 oh, well i think about 120k so like but that. yeah it's 25 parts so yeah it's 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 gonna take a little bit to get through the logistics of getting it all most of it's already been beta because we've been trying to do that as we went but we just got to wrap up the logistics and we need to get timeline stuff taken care of and it's yeah it's uh but i really i really like how it concluded i like well I liked, I liked how the whole process went so it was it's really good i think you guys gonna be very entertained by it when it goes up it'll be hosted on the wild hair project mm-hmm. some authors may ch- host their parts um on their own site but um i won't i won't put my parts on my site i'm just going to have it on wild hair um, but i will put a post to the wild hair on my site you know letting people know it's there But we'll, I'll be pushing to try to get that, you know, maybe done. I'm hoping this month because I don't want this dragging on. I got Fluff Bingo to do. Yeah, I'm a, I, I've written one of Fluff Bingo and... I'm not a fluffy person. <laughs> well, but I told people and I remind you, it's it's the seams are fluffy. You don't necessarily have to be fluffy in your implementation. Um I mean, my next prompt I was going to do is snuggling in bed. And I tried to do one with Anteldy and Allison Porter. That's my pairing and ties up. But that's my fem slash pairing in Stargate. Um, And it turned into a a thing about coming out and it being dangerous. And (sighs) I was like, this is not what I intended. Where did this go? Why is this here? (laughs) Yeah, well, I've, I've, most of, most of the, I've started a couple of them. I haven't quite, you know, like, I'm kind of like feeling my way. Um, and most of mine might have been coming out either poignant or bittersweet, which was not, or cracky. That seems to be, you know, of the, of the ideas I've had. It's been poignant, bittersweet, or crack. But just, you know, go... It's just, you just go with the fluffy theme, and if it comes out angsty as hell, that's just the way, that's just the, way the that fluff landed. <laughs> I think that, I was thinking that I might have to just do, like, um, a whole set on just McKay and Shepard, because there's lots of, I mean. You can fluff is, the is fuck out comment? of them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's lots of fluff potential there. And I've already started, well, I've, I've, I've already done one in their pairing. Um, I'm not sure if they'll be connected or not. Probably not. I mean, you know, unless it's just, you know, 16 or 15 or so. Uh, so I have 15 left stories of McKay figuring out that he's gay for Sean. <laughs> yeah. And so This led into Kira and I were talking about this, not being fluffy earlier. And this led into us talking about other bingos, um, which turned, I thought I found that whole conversation very funny. Um Bitter bingo I think bitter I think- bingo is, is um, should be our next one. <laughs> yeah, I was I was entertained by bitter bingo. I'm pretty sure I had 16 ideas. <laughs>
1: immediately
0: and every single one of them is about the mcu yeah (laughs) well i asked i said i could i could use i could have a different bingo card for each fandom um (laughs) because there's 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 easily 16 things i'm bitter about in ncis and in teen wolf and and in the mcu and you know but yeah we well i asked kira first i said should we do salty bingo or bitter bingo and kira immediately came out with bitter i'm so bitter <laughs> then I said something about writing 16 fix about characters that, sh- that should have died instead of Dobby. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> I don't remember what I said. Something about 16 stories where any competent adult wouldn't have been an improvement or something. Right, yeah. Speaking of which, we actually have a plot drift um, in our idea bank called um, Any Competent Adult versus the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> Because seriously. (sighs) Seriously. (sighs) I know, I know. They're written for kids. Every time I bitch about um, the, um, the adults being incompetent in Harry Potter, I inevitably get an email from somebody letting me know that it's a YA series. And it's designed... Um, around children, and it's supposed to be about children going on adventures, and um, adults are supposed to be incompetent in um, in YA, apparently. Um, I have a problem with that. I mean, because for me, um, it it just teaches children not to not to trust adults. Hmm. But it's a but it's a very common theme in media uh designed for that audience. Young and new adults. Teenagers. I mean it it's it's all it's all very Charlie Brown. And Hunger Games. What well, what was the one with um, Maze Runner? They're all basically designed um in worlds where adults are incompetent or evil or both. Well, Maze Runner's a little bit different. But... It's been a long time. I think I read the first book. Not by much. Um, they're just ab- they're just absent, really. Or, or the ones that, that aren't absent are morally bankrupt. So it's not a case of incompetence. It's able, yeah, um, but yeah. I mean, we, I, I get the, I get the idea. But the thing is, I mean, there, there, are, I find it just shows a lack of imagination of about a way to get a kid on an adventure that doesn't, that doesn't have all the adults being negligent or abusive or whatever, or just in, or incompetent. And I mean, in Harry Potter, I mean, in Harry Potter, it. they're negligent, abusive, and incompetent. Right, you you look at um, earlier works in that genre, um, the The Chronicles of Narnia, Alice in Wonderland. Um, mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland, it, it her, her parents had nothing to do with the fact that she fell down a hole. Right. So, granted, they weren't watching her, but she wasn't an itty bitty kid either. You know, she was out in her garden; she should have been safe. Chronicles of Narnia, same thing. Their guardian didn't have anything to do with the fact that they fell through a wardrobe. That was just something magical that happened. They weren't um, even gone very long.
1: <laughs> Labyrinth.
0: From, his, from his perspective. Labyrinth. Um, was a teenage girl having a fit. She accidentally caught the attention of a magical being. The, the never-ending story. Um, <laughs> uh, They managed to do this stuff without sacrificing. It's just, we came to... If somebody did it, and we came to accept it, and and we tolerate it, and go, well, it's targeted for kids. Well, the thing is, the problem is, is maybe it was targeted for kids, especially the first book, but those kids grew up, and they were their story got hard, and they were adults or almost adults by the time that last book came around, and you know, so it's not just for kids, and also we don't need to dumb down the plot well it wasn't his fault he built that wardrobe with a magical tree it wasn't like he knew the tree was magical right it's been a long time since i read that book which book are we talking about narnia i mean did he Uh, know no no he didn't know he knew i don't remember i mean i read that book when i was like 10 so it's been a very long time He brought the tree, the apple from Narnia. I, that, that's a vague memory for me. Which book was that coming in? It may be. The, I may, I've read most of the series multiple times. If there's one book I've only read one time, the first book chronologically, it was not the first book in writing order. The Magician's Nephew. Okay, that's the one I've only read one time. Um, that that's the first book chronologically, but it's not the first. Was not the first book written. So, when The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe comes out, there uh, there's no mention of apples or magical trees. I'm not sure I've read The Magician's Nephew. I'm not sure. I might have read a synopsis of it. Right, that's my point. Publishing order, sometimes creators write, they put something in... So, it's a retcon. Yeah, sometimes people creators put something in, they write, they write a prequel later in a series... That's supposed to flesh things out, and sometimes it winds up tainting a series for you. Um, but when it came to the order of the books, we so talk about the, the books most people have read the most it's the first three. Um, it's Well, I'm the Witch of the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, and The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I don't know which way that's pronounced. Um, those three are the books I would say most people have read the most times. Um, I know I, when I was a kid, I know how it's bell but it could be pronounced treader or treater um but anyway those books are the ones that are the 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 read the most often or reread i mean i read reread the first three books so many times as a kid and i was just less interested in the others um well there was a trend where There was a trend for a long time in in YA fiction where uh, children did things they shouldn't have done and got in trouble for it. Um, Alice in Wonderland, The Chronicles of Narnia, um, The Wizard of Oz. uh, Dorothy ran away and she got caught in a hurricane or tornado. And when she came back, it was too late and she couldn't get in the shelter. And she ended up in the house and then she ended up in Oz. But it was her fault. It was a morality sale. But then they turned it. So somewhere it got turned. Where adults were the enemy, or at the very least a hindrance to, and then it became what it is today. You got Hunger Games and you know Harry Potter and yeah. So Magician's nephew will give you a different perspective, perhaps on Lion which in the wardrobe, um, but you maybe you don't care um, about the additional Im- information that's released in, in uh, magician's nephew. Um, I would say also, um, what was it? Uh, Percy Jackson is an interesting series in that the adults try. I, yeah, and especially, I mean, I'm, I'm most familiar with the first, I only, of the books, I've only read the first book. Um, and I've actually only seen the first movie. So, um, although we have the other, Or is it others? There's at least one more. Um, You know, his mother sends him off to that camp um, because she literally can't go there because it's where he's going to be safe and where he actually has to be. Um, So I didn't actually really... I mean, the only adult I think that, especially in in the movie, the adult that we kind of side-eye in that is Zeus, who is forbidden... Contact between the gods and their children, which was a plot device that just makes Zeus a dickhead. You know, it, it real really—it's. It, I, I think it's the the dumbest element in the in the in, in the series. Um, right. So you let these gods go down and father and birth children, but they can't have any contact with them. Is that what you're saying? It's weak. Uh, it's weak. You it's can weak fuck as block humans. Block. But you don't get to raise your own offspring. That actually is kind of par for Zeus's course, though, right? Yeah, yeah. And in a way, it actually sets. Well, Zeus I'm up, a shit parent, it- therefore you're a shit parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in terms of the series, it made it feel like Zeus was the ultimate antagonist in that series because, it, but as, a, as a, and, and that plot device really did set him up as an antagonist. He was the big obstacle in the story. Because if he hadn't been such a douche, nothing, none of that stuff would have happened. He's like, the, he's like both the obstacle and he's the motivator and he's, in a lot of ways, the conflict. And it's just... Mm. But it was also kind of... It, I thought the implications of it were kind of like... It felt contrived, but also unfortunate. So you just kind of have to... He set him aside trying to think about it. Everybody else, all the other adults behaved relatively reasonably. But yeah, these books like Harry Potter where they hinge on you know no no competent adult. They kind of can set my teeth on ed- edge a little bit from that plot. I feel like we, that that should we need to like retire that trope. Let it just because in Harry Potter, especially in Harry Potter, it's not just a bad home life. Okay, so it's not just a bad home life, bad adult at home. It's every adult in Harry Potter's life ever. Like all the teachers in his primary school were incompetent. Of they had to be because they didn't realize he was being abused. They didn't all realize where the children were being abused. Um, his the, all of his neighbors in Surrey neighbors and, and, and neighbors ignorant. All of it liberally looking the other way, all of the people in the magical, all the adults in the magical world, every teacher at Hogwarts, every single one. So, uh, she went on a grand scale with that trope. She didn't just do like a negligent parent who allowed this, that, that made it possible for this kid to go traipsing off and do. Not It wasn't, we're talking like one negligent person, we're talking entire negligent society, um, both mag- magical and muggle. The worst part in Harry Potter, though, is that he he repeatedly asked for help and was denied. Yeah, Elliot. Harry Potter is a lot like Charlie Brown, and in in, in in the effectiveness of the adults, or maybe it's South Park and the adults. It's, it's like there are there are two kinds of adults, or maybe three, in Harry Potter. Those who won't help, those who are prevented from helping, and those who want to kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, as a reader, I would have actually preferred the book series from Hermione Granger's point of view. Because we'd have got a lot of information then. <laughs> just... But, you know, we've talked about the, how we feel like, despite... You know, pictures of Excel spreadsheets and stuff that we do feel like it reads like something that was pants, and you couldn't have written that from her, a pants story from Hermione's point of view. It would it wouldn't have rung true. Yeah, I don't. I don't actually buy her as a plotter. I don't. I think those are probably um, second drafts. second draft um worksheets personally yeah I agree yeah that whole that that, that whole thing about Najini actually being a person or a witch who's been cursed or whatever wow just wow not familiar with that it's in um it's in um, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. The, the Crimes of Grindelwald. Oh, the thing that I have I avoid with every fiber of my being. I don't know the specifics because I haven't watched it. I haven't watched either one of the Fantastic Beasts movies. Yeah, I, I just avoided that particular canon, like The Plague, just because it... it it complicates things that I were, was writing and I just didn't want to deal with it. My personal headcanon um, ends actually around the middle of book five. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. That's where I stop thinking, oh, I just don't even want to. Okay. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Stupid horror cruxes. I mean, you know, I write them, right? Because the readers expect them. But We don't like it. We don't like it at all. So apparently not only is Najini actually a woman, she is a woman of Asian descent. Oh, oh, so, oh, a white British racist entitled man owns an Asian woman and turns her into a snake. That's not problematic at all, is it? I'm gonna get head slapped by other me for making this ex- facial expression. <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> like, like Tom Riddle wasn't fucking entitled enough. You turned him into a slave, <laughs> a slave owner as well. Great, great, because he wasn't fucked up enough. Like, I'm really, he wasn't fucked up enough. Sometimes you just got to walk away talking to you Joanne sometimes you just got to walk away from a shit from a series you just got to go you know I haven't put enough thought in this to this series to why don't you go back and spend some more time torturing Harry Potter in the in the cupboard it'd be great thanks (laughs) (laughs) So do we have you any know? More- actually, I agree, crazy. the The whole premise of the cursed child is so much worse, including the part where Harry Potter, it um, it really messed with my head, headcanon about Harry and him saying that he was a terrible father. It, it's just it doesn't make sense to me that Harry could grow up so bad. Um, and he would not strive to be the best parent possible. Because all he wants in the world is a family. I will read a synopsis of The Cursed Child. And as far as I am concerned, it is absolutely 100% not canon. They make Harry witness the death of his parents as an adult in that movie. In that, in that, in that, in that play. Well. Well. Can you hear how underwhelmed she is? just don't make her huff no (laughs) no means no I'm done fuck all that I just she didn't actually write the cursed child. She just approved of it. And we don't have good feelings about that. Uh no, I mean, I, I'm I'm done. If I had to have Harry Potter go back in time to that time period and he couldn't interfere in the death of his parents, there is no way in hell I'd make him watch it. Did Chad drop again? Did he? Okay. No, no, no. Chad's still recording. I don't know why that error is sitting there, but he's he's still recording. Probably it'll probably be there till we till we reload Discord. Yeah, which that. we can't do in the, when we're in the middle. So that is so deeply ugly. I mean, I I'm trying to imagine what you could get out of that. You know, that's just like it's like it's it's like they took up the mantle of making Harry Potter as miserable as possible and went with it. Let's make him a shit father. Let's make his kids not like him and disrespect him. Oh, and at the end, let's let him... Let's force him to watch the murder of his parents. What? Harry Potter killed a fucking basilisk. Fought a fucking dragon. And he's afraid of Pigeons? Well, on. I don't think he actually killed the Dark Lord. That was another curse bounce, if you ask me. But either way, he was there for it. Um, it, What? <laughs> just... Pigeons? Flying rats? Are you serious? Well, they are filthy. Does he have OCD? Is he a germaphobe? <laughs> I mean, okay, okay. Does he have OCD? Because if he's a germophobe, I get it pigeons Page- are disgusting. I... He must but if he's a germophobe he better be afraid of hedgehogs too. In fact, don't touch anything living. I just yeah phobies um phobias are not necessarily rational or logical. I mean, you know I have my um, I have a couple. I have a pathological fury response to clowns. (laughs) They just make me so mad. I'm not afraid of clowns. They make me furious. Like, instantly furious. Um, Well, clowns I am. But I am claustrophobic. So. But usually, I would say, at least for all the things I'm phobic about, I understand why I am. And yeah, I get that they're not that rational. But I understand why I'm... I mean, is there any foundation for Harry's phobia of pigeons? I mean, my phobia of ants is because I tripped and fell into a fire ant mound and nearly died from the sheer number of fire ant bites I got. That would do it. That would make a lot of people a little bit phobic about ants. So, you know, I know where it came from. So, no, they're not always rational. I mean, sometimes, but use I would say most people I've known who had a phobia, they could tell you where that phobia comes from. Not everybody. my, My claustrophobia comes from being locked in a refrigerator. That would do it. I mean, yeah, sometimes you for do a long have time theory. I had it under control. Um, I even did like immersion therapy in college to get rid of it. I went I went cave diving my senior year of, of high school I mean, college um, and um, was underwater in caves and slept in a cave and didn't see daylight for a whole fucking week. And I was fine. But over the past five or six years, I had to have two different, um, I have had three different procedures where I ended up being in a closed space for testing and it's like it broke open something inside me and I'm just uh, petrified of being closed up. My last MRI, was it MRI? Where they put you in the box?
1: Yeah. They said it,
0: they said it was an open MRI. I'm gonna call bullshit on that because uh the the closed mri is a long tube that's a lot like being in a round coffin but that's what it was like but i thought it was supposed to be open do they, do they like close the that door it, on you no i mean long tube as in almost the length of your entire body i was in one the length of my entire body well, the open MRIs I've been in, I'm mostly in it usually my feet, my le- lower legs are sticking out, but the open part is the bore diameter. Like I couldn't move. I was pressed in on all sides, my breast touching the top, it pressed in on both my arms well, My shoulders I... were touching, my boobs were almost touching. If I'd have been wearing a more restrictive bra, my boobs would have touched. That sounds like an open MRI. But there there is a larger bore MRI than the one you're talking about. But the closed MRIs. You have to look at the apertures. Um, but the closed MRIs were very. Very narrow. Well I spent 15 minutes in this machine. 15 minutes. And. I could hear my. Pulse in my ear. Over the music they let me have with the headset. Um. I could hear my heart just thundering, and they had my head in the vice because they were actually MRIing my face because I have a cyst in my nasal cavity. I think Twilight um, has that experience, um, um, but it's small right now, so they're they're thinking it won't get any bigger. Um, but anyway. Um, 15 minutes and five minutes in, I was hyperventilating. She came in there and she put her hand on my leg and she says, are you okay? I said, no, I'm not. Are we almost done? She says, no, you got 10 minutes left. She says, do I need to stay here with you? And I'm like, yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> and she stuck her hand in and held my hand our fingers barely touched, and she stayed there with me the whole time, and I was shaking by the time I got out, I was I was wringing wet with sweat, I was just I was and she said, I could get dressed and leave, I said, do I have to check out she says, no, you're done, I said, great I walked right past my husband out of that place, and yelled over my shoulder, come get in the damn car by the time he got out with all of our stuff, because I left him with all my crap um, I was in the passenger seat with my seatbelt buckled <laughs> Ethan, are you okay? I said, no, I need ice cream. (laughs) We're leaving, motherfucker. Get out here. (laughs) Get in the car. (laughs) uh, I was just like, I was. (sighs) So one strawberry blizzard later, um, I was at home and I called my doctor and I told told the nurse, her her nurse practitioner, that I had gotten the thing done. And she said, okay. She said, you have an issues? I said, let me tell you something. And you can put this on in my records And you can put this in several different languages if you must But I will never under any circumstances Get another MRI while I'm conscious As long as I live I said if I have to get another one It will have to be under general anesthesia <laughs> She said you mean Twilight I said no I mean general anesthesia <laughs> I know exactly what I'm asking for I Twilight to... is not enough I don't trust it <laughs> I need to be zonked I need to be guaranteed unconscious before I'm put in the machine. And I would like to be, i like to wake up in a machine, in a room where that machine is not. It'll take me out, take me to another room. It's just not happening. And then I had nightmares for weeks afterwards. So it's really weird how a phobia I thought I had mastered uh, came back to bite me. But if I had to do one for two hours, like um well, two hours and 15 minutes, four different times, hell no girl, I would be I, I would probably be stroked out. I think she was afraid I was gonna stroke out now i was I was not claustrophobic when I had my first MRI or my second. this is when they were fairly still relatively new technology you know you had they most hospitals didn't have them they had them on those trucks that they would pull up to a hospital and you'd maybe wait weeks to to be able to get in to get in one and uh, the second time i had one um just how many fucking head injuries i've had and it was those regular the long bore mri tube the machine broke we had an earthquake it was a minor earthquake but it still rattled things enough that the machine and they couldn't get me out right couldn't get me out and they and they didn't want to you know our choices were like grab me by the feet and yank me out because the table they couldn't slide the the thing out and so I kept and so the guy kept saying you know are you okay with just waiting are you and I wasn't claustrophobic so I was just like yeah I'll wait I'll wait I'll wait well I got to the point where I was so long in there that I was starting to panic and I couldn't see in or out um I felt trapped and And by then, um, at that point, I started to sweat in that, too. And um, um, I was sticking to everything. I was stuck. And so, you know, they tried yanking my feet, and it was really painful. And uh, I was, like, really wedged in. They needed that table to be operational so they could get me out. I think I spent, like, three or four hours in that thing. Oh, honey, I would have had a stroke. And I had to pee. So... I, I developed mild claustrophobia from that experience, but I knew exactly what experience that, you know, related to. It wasn't like it was any kind of particular mystery. I think when you give your characters um, quirks, phobias, um, bad habits, you need to. Um, they need to. Now, have... uh, yes, in reality, a phobia can sometimes be deeply irrational. But a lot of times people can trace their phobia back to an event. My husband can't stand spiders because one jumped on him and landed on his face once when he was little and it was like done, one and done. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the things that happened to them when we're really young can have the most, you know, irrational fear attached to it. Like if if that had happened to you as the first time as an adult, you might just swat it away. But as a kid that something sometimes something can be really traumatic. You know, I the Wizard of Oz had a terrible impact on me when I was a kid. I saw it too young and those flying monkeys did fucked up things to my brain. Right. And also the munchkins can be a little shady. Even you know, the lollipop you know, guild. I mean, they look shady. Have you seen I assume you've seen Phantom of either the play or or the I mean the musical or the movie, you've seen Phantom of the Opera, right? I've seen both, yes. Okay, so when I saw it, which I, I very much enjoyed, fan of the fan of the opera, I saw it in in I saw the the the, the musical several times. Um, that little monkey with the symbols, right? To me, he mm-hmm. was more terrifying than the Phantom, and that's strictly because of those fucking flying monkeys in the Wizard of Oz. I knew why it was. I knew why I was reacting so strongly to that damn monkey with the symbols. It was because of the Wizard of Oz. But it doesn't change the fact that, you know, it had a, that those flying monkeys had a profound impact on my psyche when I was young. What can you do? It is what it is. So if you give your character one of these, it, it, it's actually good for your characterization if there is a, prof- if, if there's a reason, if you can point to a reason for it, because it gives your character depth. Yeah, I never thought I had a friend in college who found the Phantom of the Opera deeply romantic. I didn't find Ugh. anything romantic about the Phantom of the Opera. Not about um, the Phantom himself. I thought the relationship between Christine and uh, Raoul was fine as a romance go, but that isn't the romance most people are talking about. Right. They're generally talking about the Phantom and Christine, which you know my face is making an unfortunate expression but you know there was a time when that whole the whole stalker vibe was kind and was kind of romanticized but it make me help sexy. you it's not but you know it's true it's not sexy i oh, know stephanie the Meyer? the 70s 80s talking- they, were, they were terrible for romance i'm drugs. talking to you she is talking to you Stalking is not sexy. Well, you know, Willow, being afraid of crocodiles and alligators is actually reasonable. Rational. It's Completely rational. Your, your amygdala understands that that's a very ancient predator and that it will eat you, given they have a chance. I mean, it says a lot that crocodiles and alligators haven't really evolved much since ancient times because they don't need to. They're already perfect. Just like sharks. Perfect killing little eating machines. They have reached the They have reached their final form. They are done. Go get in, in ramp- their way. In Rampage, that fucking giant crocodile or alligator, whatever it was, I mean, could they have made anything that was... I was like, there's no way. That, it was completely unrealistic. I'm, I'm glad George won, but it was completely unrealistic that George was able to defeat. It, it, anyway, it did take a lot of that. ammo as well, though. Um, there was some ordnance involved. True, but still it just wasn't really all that believable that anything was going to defeat that thing. (laughs) It's just their mere existence is really unbelievable. (laughs) A giant monkey and a giant crocodile have a fight. (laughs) And your sticking point (laughs) is that the crocodile should have (laughs) won. True. True. I see it. well yes because <laughs> this, is, this is. I'd have been of- really mad though I'd have been furious if Georgia died I'd have been absolutely furious But well, we know from Dwayne that the that was that that was the original plot was that he died well, I'm, glad they, I'm, I'm glad they changed it well The Rock said he wasn't going to do that he said I'm not going to go my fans expect to feel good when they walk out of this movie and they're not going to feel good if George is dead I'm not doing this George needs to live live. George live. but yes, there's something, this is, this is about the willing suspension of disbelief part, right? I'm (laughs) my, my willing suspension of disbelief extended to the giant animals. Um, a giant, a giant gorilla being worse than a, than a, than a giant alligator, like three times the gorilla's size. No, but doesn't that boil down to intelligence? Because in the very beginning, they they show you that George is very intelligent. Well, it probably yes, they did show that George was you know was more effective in his fighting, and he he did use he used a weapon, he used an actual tool to drive it because it was it was the it was the alligator he drove that big giant pole through its head, right? Yeah, was that the wolf? Yeah, after it had been blown up and and right, they blew it up. And then George nice through. And, and, and then he stabbed it. But I think that's the difference between the two animals is that the crocodile um, thingy. Um, but okay. It so was like, all but, working on instinct and, and I guess fury based on the, the genetic changes. Yeah. But like, let's look at Lake Placid. Okay. Everybody in that movie should have died. Like, Everybody should have died. It should have just been. Dolores and the crocodile at the end. And that's <laughs> that should have been it. Um and Is yet this your
1: friend. <laughs> <laughs> he was taller.
0: <laughs> I love and would she would when she drag would she's dragging those whole animals down to the water's edge to feed the crocodile? She was so absurd. It was a whole cow, wasn't it? Wasn't she feeding it a cow? Yeah. Or or am I remembering the scene wrong? Betty I think was it just... was a queenie. I think it was a combination of things that it was just so injured so by the time he was able to stab it through the head with that um piece of rebar it was like the final stroke. So, so to speak. They were a team. <laughs> But I'm sorry, Lake Placid is fucking hilarious. It is. Oliver Platt, I don't even, I don't even, I can't even with him. <laughs> but anyway, I hope, I, I hope he eats you all. <laughs> I, I kind of was rooting for the crocodile too, to be honest. <laughs> he stopped throwing heads at me. <laughs> Like, that's something that could happen. Well, you know, it happened to her several times, so maybe her her complaint was legitimate. (laughs) I've only ever seen, like, part two of Lake Lake Placid. You didn't see the original? No, I saw part one and part two, um, but there are apparently four sequels. Oh. I actually didn't know that. Some things just really can't be improved on that much. I'm not sure anything can beat the first one though, because because Betty White is a she is, is a a treasure. She is. My mom has Sharknado. My mom loves shark movies. It's her favorite thing. She loves shark movies. Sharknado, you know, Sand Shark, whatever. It was swamp Shark. She, she, she's all in. So, of course, when um the Meg came out, she had to go see it. Of course. Of course. So, we go to see it. But, um, it was... It was... <laughs> Have you seen the Meg? Of course. Okay. So, you know the part with the little dog in the end... <laughs> you know what irritated me the most is that dog was the smartest one in the whole movie. He sees a, she's he, she sees a shark. She turns her little ass around and starts swimming back to the boat. Right. Because she's right. not dumb. And But then like when they're coming back after having finally defeated this last shark, um, there's a little dog in the water and okay. You see, okay. So, so they, they, they picked her up. Right. So she could go back. No, they don't. There's an end scene where the, poor little dog finally makes it to the boat and gets plucked up out of the water. They didn't pick that dog up? You asshole! (laughs) The least you could have done was pick the little dog up. She was the smartest one out of all of you. They really didn't pick that little dog up? No! There's a scene, uh, it's like mid-credit maybe or after where she is still swimming and the bride finally picks her up out of the water. I'm feeling really disillusioned here. (laughs) They did pick the little dog up. So anyway. My mom loves these shark movies right. And she's. Um, we share an Amazon Prime account. I go over there. And we also share a voodoo account. And I'm over on Amazon. And I see a movie. And I thought. What has what, what this woman bought? And it was called House Shark. I was like. Is it as big as the house? Or is it in the house? And so I call my mom and I ask her. I was like. So what happens in House Shark? She goes, oh, don't watch it. It's just stupid. I I said, you know what? The title kind of made me think that might be the case. (laughs) House Shark. So from somebody who watches Sharknado called it stupid. Right. Someone who watched Sharknado called it stupid. So if you like Stark McShark movies, you don't want to watch House Shark. Because apparently it's really stupid. Dude, I don't even know what to do with that. I mean, Like really I don't have any idea what to do with that. <sighs> to get your mom I still don't home. I still don't know what the house shark is. If it's as big as a house or if the shark was in the house. And if the house was a house boat. Maybe it's like a house pet, but it's a house shark. We we watched the Meg, but we have not watched the Megalodon, which is like the we watched the one with Jason Stratham because if my mom loves anything more than sharks, it would be Jason Stratham. So when he put out a shark movie, she was like, Yes. <laughs> <sighs> Okay, so apparently the, the summary for House Shark is when he finds a shark that can travel on land residing in his home, an ex cop enlists the help of a grizzly former real estate agent, and an eccentric house shark expert to kill the beast. <laughs> and it ex- can't really an, ex- can't. an eccentric house shark expert? There are house shark experts. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Am I the only one that thinks it sounds a little bit like Jaws, but it's not in the water? Not sure if you're the only but no, it doesn't really sound like Jaws. House okay, sharks. so okay, okay, so we have a ex-cop. We have a grizzly former real estate agent, and the expert on those house sharks. It's a crack. They, this is fa- this is an alternate universe fan fiction of Jaws. <sighs> if that ex-cop isn't some form of Brody's name, isn't some form of a B word, I will be really surprised. <laughs> I'm just huffing away over here. <laughs> oh God! Ellie <laughs> found pictures. How does a a (laughs) real estate agent become grizzly? How does does that grizzled? How does that happen? Grizzled. A real estate agent? I don't think that they actually do that. I think that I mean, uh, do they I mean do they end up like selling crack houses or something? How do they get there? I think it's against the real estate agent's code to be grizzled. It was. It wasn't dog eat dog. It was shark eat shark. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Since we're totally off topic, I guess we'll end this podcast here. Um, I hope you guys have been having a great week. And um, let me find the fucking. I'm all confused over here. Let me find the thing. And um, we we shall catch you guys later. So say um, say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone.